You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 170 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Do you want to support this podcast? Yeah! Go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. If you become a patron, you'll be able to hear these episodes before everyone else as well as access exclusive content. Join us at the round table of the Divine Mystery. Wow! Hi, how are you doing today? We're missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In this episode, my guest is Shani Snow, and we are going to talk about Mormonism. So thanks for being on the podcast. No worries at all. So tell uh, the listeners a bit about yourself and your story. Um, so I'm from, I'm from Australia, and um, and I went to a, a private school. I had um an interesting upbringing. It, it wasn't it certainly wasn't easy, and um and uh, I studied science and religion basically all my life. I mean, I, I went to a a Lutheran primary school, and then I went to a Catholic high school. And uh, but I didn't really, all I really got out of that is that I just knew what the Bible stories were because I didn't really have any any um interest in religion through the whole way. And it, and it's, and it's a bit interesting because I was there for you know well over a decade as I was a kid, and I can't remember a single one of those of those times where we went and sung hymns and did these rituals and. and and that's just interesting to me. I was just thinking about this the other week that I can't actually recall any of this stuff because it's very hypnotic. We go there very early in the morning, half asleep. We sing all these hymns, and it went on for years and years. Um, but I was mainly interested in science. You know, I was doing well in chemistry and in maths, and um, so I, I went down that way. And uh, when I left school, I basically thought, well, I'm going to read the Bible now. Well, and I left school quite young, and uh, I. Yeah, I was in special. I left school. I finished um, year eleven, and I, and I started year twelve. But I, I left at the start of year twelve, and um, but then I picked up the Bible and I thought, well, I'm going to read this now from my own perspective, and um, I I basically started from I read the whole New Testament and then I started again at the Old Testament, and I'd already read a lot of it at school already, and um, and at the same time I was studying a bit of Buddhism and a bit of Tai Chi and Qigong, and uh, um you know, some of these um, body meditations and, and different ways, different perspectives that weren't just the Western Western perspectives, some Eastern perspectives. And um, and then as I read the Bible from just a third person's point of view without them kind of shoving it down my throat, I noticed that there was a repeating pattern, which was basically that civilization would build up to a point where we had access to enough resources to start doing some pretty naughty things. And then people would get very naughty and and bad things would happen and then uh, at some point when the people were really sick of it and when it was really hard for them and there was just nothing left to do but sort of cry to to the heavens and their god at the time whether it be the, the hebrews and to jehovah at the time or whether it be other nations they were all kind of go through this repeating pattern of crying out to their god and uh, basically what would happen is someone would be so sick of it that they would go out, they would forsake the world, they would fast, and they would pray, and they would go without food, and they would go without water. And um, I sort of just noticed this from just a kind of scientific perspective in that this was this repeating pattern where people would go out and forsake everything and then talk to the, to the gods, and then they'd be, they'd be helped. And so at a young age, at about 15 or 16, I, I went out and, and started going out to the wilderness and fasting and praying just as a test. Like I, I didn't know if, if there was anything out there or whether God existed or, or, any, or if any of these things in the scriptures were true. But I thought I'm going to test this out because this seems like it seems logical that if these men did it, that I could too. It seems like a scientific process that just happens if you just – if you do the same processes that they were. 
And so I tried this at a young age, and basically ever since I did, I did a nine-day fast with um, just water and a handful of goji berries and a tablet of olive leaf uh, just to make sure I didn't get sick. And I did nine days, and I just read the scriptures, and I just prayed, and I said, look, if, if you're there or if this is real, teach me something that nobody else knows. And this was where I kind of started, right, was, was, was basically asking God, what is this? I want to know. Like, and if it's shit, tell me. And if it's good, then let's have a chat. And basically since that day, I've known absolute without a doubt that something very deep and very spiritual is going on and that the priests and these churches and these religions really don't have any fucking clue what's going on in these scriptures. And if they do, they're certainly not telling you because that's certainly not what they're teaching in, in, in these institutions. So then I started on a big uh, spiritual pilgrimage to try to find out the truth of what is going on because because I, I did receive some heavy messages and I, and I did continue more fasting. Mind you, through all of this, I was having some a lot of trials. You know, I was smoking and drinking and um, sleeping with women, which if I could look back and take that all back, I certainly would because it didn't make my life any easier. So it, it, it's been a massive struggle to go through all of this. Nevertheless, I... I started studying more religions and more spirituality and I and I tuned into it from a scientific perspective early because of Tai Chi and Qigong because I realized that there is electron there's electricity running from my brain through my nervous system and there's metals all through my blood and the two of them make this biochemical electromagnetic field all around my body and that just blew me away when I was young and realized that, hang on, there is a lot going on here that nobody's talking about, that nobody really puts into our culture. We don't learn it at school and, and, and it's just beyond, you know, what they're willing to share with us. And so I kept going. I studied, I, I studied Wicca. I studied um, a little bit of shamanism when I was young. Um, I didn't, I tried to get the grasp of astral projection and, um, and soul retrieval because I kind of wanted to try to undo some of the damage that the world had already done to me. And this is how I felt when I was young, let alone going forward. Um, and just, you know, the brutality that I received from the world growing up was just got, you know, more and more intense as you, as I'm sure that many people can relate to. And, um, Anyway, I studied all these religions and I realized that there is truth in a lot of these things, but it comes down to a lot of dogma and that's geared towards these people trying to have some kind of control around your belief systems. And I did study Christianity for a very long time. I kept going to I went to many different churches and I was thrown out of just as many because I would basically go, well, hang on, that's a very good view that you brought up, but can we just read what Jesus just says right here? And I'd read out of the scriptures. And because I didn't want to try to impose my opinion on other people, I wanted to just read what their God was trying to tell them out of the scriptures that, you know, they're saying that they believe in, in this guy and his teachings. And so I would use his teachings and say, well, well, look at this. And and if I started touching on the truth of what Jesus was saying, these people would hate it. And I went through many churches like that and it continued to go in that direction. And finally, after I, I, and I did study a lot of Judaism, I went to I went to the synagogue and I studied some Islam and I went to the mosque and I and, and I started learning some of the Arabic prayers and and you know I delved into a lot of Reiki healing and and you know when I was young crystals and stuff and when I was older Kabbalah and 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 certainly alchemy. I mean and and that's and that's how we know each other and that's the platform from which I'm kind of coming from is this hermetic alchemy that really the scriptures are actually trying to teach to people is this really natural science that came from ancient Egypt and ancient ancient whatever. Many people have got a lot of theories, but let's just say ancient Egypt because that's just the, the best known one. You've got the Ickens and the Mayans and Atlantis and whatever anyone would like to speak about, but there's this old religion that really hit home with humanity and it's at the core of all other religions. And, and that's where... So now I walk into Christianity and I hate watching these people who say that they really know Jesus and they really know God and they really know what's going to happen to you and they can save you, except that Jesus was a hermeticist. He did study these ancient um, Egyptian and these, these ancient things, these ancient Hebraic methods of Kabbalah and, and life, basically, like these really ancient um, human sciences. But then you go into a Christian church now and um, they're basically feeding you with 
look, just follow us and Jesus will forgive you for your sins and you'll be sweet in the next realm. When obviously a lot of people who are coming to enlightenment now are realizing about these different realms and astral realms and having to purify your body and, and having to move up and literally go back to where you belong, not not just to sit on the ground and, and hope that someone's going to scoop you up at the end um, if you do a half-assed job. Uh, and, and as long as you pay your way, let's never forget that. And then, I mean, um, but along these travels, I did end up um, finding Mormonism the closest to what Jesus was, uh, what, well, basically the symbolism behind Christ's religion, despite the fact that still Mormonism doesn't truly grasp the hermetic background of Jesus Christ and the fact that he was talking alchemically in regards to transformation of the human soul. Cool. So um, it's it's funny to me because your whole story talks about you going through all these ancient and old traditions, but then when you find Mormonism, which is in a sense compared to all the others, quite modern when you track when it started and that. Yeah, and that's a very good point. And that will bring me to what, what I would like to say about it, is that symbolically it is just so perfect the way that they represent the life of Christ, and they do actually have additional knowledge in regards to uh, the ordinances he was performing and um, and the teachings that he was teaching. However, they do deny. They kind of they kind of say, "Look, we've got the Spirit, we've got the Holy Ghost, we've got the whole the Holy Spirit." However, they deny all of these spiritual practices that actually build up that energy in the body, and and this energy that is supposed that basically. You know, I mean, if we started talking about the scriptures, we'd talk about. Um, the, the two groups of virgins that rock up and some of them have got um, a lantern that's empty and some have got a lantern that's full and only the, the virgins that had the, the full lantern can enter the bridal chamber and that's really talking about this spiritual energy that we develop and grow and cultivate and we don't spill and give out to the world and, and hopefully at the time of, you know, whenever our, whenever our judgment or, or at the time of the wedding, our, our lamp would be full. And so they kind of do not. They say, "Look, just have faith in this, but continue practicing um, everything that's going on in the world, including just all this money stuff. Everybody getting a job, and everybody basically, basically competitivism. Instead of being creationists, instead of us making a better world, we're competing against each other until we all die. And uh, and religion is kind of pushing this. And so, despite the fact that. Uh, Mormonism does have the, the biggest amount of information to share in regards to Jesus' teachings. Is It actually is run by Freemasonic upbringings. Like, I mean, Basically, the, the Americans at some stage worked out that if we feed them a bit more of the secret information we have about Christ and build another church, there'll be a lot more, you know, we'll have another subculture of Christianity that we, and, and they charge a type, you know, they charge 10% of your money to get into the temple where you're supposed to marry your wife and supposed to live for eternity. And, and, and so the Mormons are the only Christians who build temples. And that is spot on with what Moses and Solomon and David were doing. Like, so the Mormons are trying to practice the, basically the ancient Hebrew and the Christian doctrine uh, as much as possible, but only in regards to the outward appearance and the basically Freemasons building all these buildings and charging attacks, and it looks like God and it feels like God, and you're becoming a better person, and it does make you a better person. I mean, there are a lot of really, really good Mormons because of the culture, because it does teach you to be pure and a good person and never to hurt anybody, and never to fuck anybody over, and to be honest with your dealings. And like you know, like they have the highest standard out of any church, and that's another reason why I really like it, is because it does instill this self-discipline to actually be a good person, not just to think about it. And, you know, and you'll notice that I'm speaking about this church more than more than others because when I go somewhere else, it feels like hardly anything else than some priests trying to manipulate a bunch of people to feel good and give them their money. That is the main feeling I feel at most Christian churches. And then in Mormonism, that is still there. But, I mean, it's so deep down there that you can get lost in just how good it does feel because they have done such a good job at trying to replicate what Jesus' intentions were. Mind you, it, the head of it is not God. The head of it is Masonic. Like you said, this guy, the, the, the prophet, the living prophet, because they always have a living prophet, has just recently died, like in the last six months. 
And I know that that prophet is worth about $20 million. I've seen him, well, I've seen photos of him making Masonic handshakes with um, President George Bush. So you've got to consider like, so if me as a spiritual person who loves Jesus Christ and is addicted to trying to do the best by my king, you know, in the most pure way that I can by my family, would I ever um, be worth $20 million and and be shaking secret Masonic handshakes with um, Skull and Crossbone Society members like um, while running this church and saying, I'm a prophet. That's very, very um, strange. And then so if we look at the history of Mormonism and then we look at Joseph Smith, which basically brings out the Book of Mormon, which was their secret book that they had that they didn't want to tell anybody about, but they thought if we bring it out, we'll get more followers, we'll make money. So they brought out this secret book. They give it to Joseph Smith as as the face man because he was. Joseph Smith never worked, man. He, He didn't have a trade. He wasn't a hard worker. He's well known to basically be a swindler, to basically be all talk and um, and talk himself into deals and into parliament and into the Freemasons and all of these things. His dad was a Freemason. His brothers were Freemasons. Oliver Oliver Crowley, who who was his or Oliver Cow, uh, Cowdery, um, you know, all of his friends were Freemasons, and all the people who witnessed of this Book of Mormon were Freemasons. Um, so it was obviously it was a Masonic gathering where they thought we can pull off this new religion with the, with the information we have and it's going to make us a killing, and it has and it continues to do so. It is it is a very good representation of the of the alchemical processes that Jesus Christ was trying to convey to people. However, they draw away from that and make it more about community and giving us your money and everybody forgive each other and try to be a good person and be a good parent. And, like, yeah, there's a lot of good teachings in all they do, but they still don't accept the spiritual reality that enlightenment really means that, to, to draw light into oneself and to fill yourself with that photonic energy that's all around you and, um, and, and Mormonism does suck that away still, and that's because it is really driven by money and, and, and driven by this ancient fraternity that's, dri- that's driving more. I mean, there's plenty of ancient fraternities that are driving all this stuff, and I'm sure that most people listening to this understand that already. You know, we're not talking about anything new here, but just in the Mormon perspective, it's, I'm just confirming that it's basically the same. So most people who have heard about Mormonism, they know there's some crazy story of how it was founded they know that you can have more than one wife and they know about uh, those people who walk around knocking doors but so that's the mainstream knowledge but what's it like uh, on the inside for the average mormon extremely indoctrinating man um I can fully understand. And there are so many great people in Mormonism because the religion does teach you to be such a good person. But there is such extreme loyalty in some cases in the church because their indoctrination techniques are par none. I mean, these are Americans with Disney-like movie capabilities that have just made the best uh, media presentations to represent their religion. They've given you extra... Christian knowledge that other Christianities don't have. And that, you know, a lot of Christian people might be offended by me saying that, but that is just the truth. You know, I've spent well over a decade searching all these churches, and I know certainly that the Mormons have additional knowledge because basically their their books that they have do confirm with a lot of our Gnostic teachings that we find in some of the, in things like the Nag Hammadi Library and the Dead Sea Scrolls and Pistis Sophia. A lot of what Joseph Smith shared um, was fully in line with all of those Gnostic teachings. So obviously he was quite aware of the additional alchemical and, and hermetic background of Christ to bring forward this Mormon teaching in the first place. But that doesn't um, that doesn't subtract from the fact that basically he got all this power in doing so and started being a massive pedophile and telling his wife. Um, basically, if you don't let me go and marry this 15-year-old, God's going to fucking condemn you to hell, bitch. So you better shut your mouth. And it was quite like it was quite literally like that. Like you can, like, and that's basically what it says without the swearing in in their scriptures. When you read it deep enough, like it's all right there. That Joseph Smith just starts going all haywire and starts marrying all these chicks, and then he actually says, "I think I've been taken over by a demon and I've done the wrong thing." Then he dies at a young age, and they say that's martyrdom. But I was more like, well. You know, if I was the prophet and then I started being a pedophile, I'm sure that like God would take me out as well. 
So I'm not sure if I would really call that a martyrdom. It's not, you know, they're, they're kind of worshipping this bloke who brought forward some Freemasonic knowledge as if this is like, you know, Jesus, like it's like the disciple Thomas or something. You know, it's like Jesus' right-hand man, but it's not that. It was a He actually ran for president and failed. He actually opened a bank and lost all the Mormons' money in opening a bank, you know. So it's all money, it's all women, it's all po politics, you know. That's not good science for, for someone who's supposed to be a prophet, despite the fact that he did bring forward some secret information. And so the Book of Mormon itself is, like, I, I, I hold that in high regard next to the Bible because it is some ancient literature that they've basically fed us, and, and it is worth reading. It's, it's actually an incredible book. And, and I stand by the Book of Mormon still, but not, you know, this organization that's basically saying, oh, we're God, and we brought it by some angelic means. No, you just had it in the Vatican or something, and you smuggled it out, and now you're feeding it to us for 10% of our wage. You know, cheers for that. Yeah, because it's quite confusing to, to listen to you, because it sounds like you don't like Mormons, but you also like it. But so you're talking about you like the actual scripture, you, you don't like the organization. This is true. Yes, I, I do find the Book of Mormon as quite a rational. I would put it up with the Dead Sea Scrolls and Nagma Library and other ancient texts that we have in relation to these original Christians, um, and I, I hold it in high regard. I don't think they've changed it with it that much. I don't think it's a farce, the Book of Mormon itself. I think that these men had access to the Book of Mormon, uh, that they translated it, and then they sold it for big bucks. That's what I think. And then they, they made themselves look like that they were prophets of this ancient age and this ancient scripture and uh, basically just empowered themselves. And, and you know, so you had uh, Joseph Smith, he ended up with about 15 wives. But then his predecessor, which is another Freemason, ends up with 30 wives um, and, and, and just so on and so forth for a bit until, you know, they couldn't defend themselves any longer and had to shut down because everyone was basically getting pissed off that this guy was marrying all their wives because the Mormons um, – Part at that in that early era, they didn't not acknowledge other people's marriages. They said that's not the right priesthood. God didn't ordain that, and we can marry her because you're not actually married to her. So they were going around marrying other people's wives. So hence, hence why these people were getting persecuted so heavily. So in answer to your question, when you're there and you're learning Mormonism, they're always the victim. They're always oh they all attacked us in that, but they're never going to tell you that their leader was a, a smart-mouthed politician that was taking everybody's wives and pissing everybody off and, 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 tr and taking all their money and opening banks and, get, and then someone stole all the money from the bank and they went bankrupt and all the Mormons had to leave and, and, and the whole story is beautiful. They've got it all on tape. You can go to the Mormons and go, can I get all this on tape? And they will give you the most – like it's beautiful. It's just – the cinematography is fantastic. I've cried many times watching their epic movies about you know, their Mormon holocaust. Because they, yeah, they do fully indoctrinate you into that. We've got the secret stuff. This is the real Church of Jesus Christ because we've got the secret stuff from Christ, the Melchizedek priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. We love you. We've got missionaries who will come around and wash your dishes and just like you know listen to our indoctrination. And yeah, it was lovely. Me and my wife absolutely loved it. It was beautiful being a part of the Mormon Church. But I just can't help but want to just scream out to everybody: Do you not realise they're taking your money? You know, that, that, that is, that I'm, I'm offensive with it because I love the culture. It's a beautiful, I love lots of cultures. Mormon culture is another beautiful culture and I really do love it. However, just like every other culture, I just want to scream out to everybody, they are taking your money and they're trying to convince you it's a good thing. And yeah, I'm just against it. You know, you know how I feel. Yeah. Uh, is it hard to, to leave Mormonism? I mean, do they like, is it like, you know, Scientologists, they come to your house and, and knock on your door, like, why are you leaving? You know, is it like that? Uh, it can be like that sometimes, but that I would say that they're pretty good about it because there is, there is a firm limit. Um, I haven't seen much Mormon extremism ever. I haven't seen people trying to shove Bibles down people's throats. It's a big thing in the church, in fact, to not do that. So it's, it is a lot more generous in, in that way than a lot of the other, like Jehovah's Witnesses, other people that knock on your door. Um, you know, they're taught to respect everybody else's beliefs and respect their, their privacy and their wishes. And if they tell you to fuck off, then you fuck off. You know, that, that, and I like that about that because they're not too pushy. 
they more come around like, are you okay? What's wrong? Why haven't you been here? And then if you tell them to fuck off, they will. But um, sometimes, but sometimes that works out really well because sometimes they'll come around like, and I've done it myself. I've been one of those people to go around and then we might find someone who's really depressed and then we actually just sit and talk with them and make them feel really good and then we leave it and, and they feel really good and that's without any substance. Like, you know, th- there is a lot of love in the church, a, a big community thing, but that's in all churches and that and that has little to do, I think, with the subject of, of just um, what Mormon is. But in re- I'm a convert, so... I've gone all around the, the thing and the Mormons love me because I'm addicted to Jesus and I've got all this background knowledge and, and they love listening to me have chats like this. However, if I was born into it, into Mormonism, I would have never got out. You know, And a lot of these people who are born into it um, who do have faith in Christ uh, will never get out because they're fully indoctrinated into that way. And I can understand that. Like, you know, there's 50-year-olds who are running multimillion-dollar businesses who have been fully indoctrinated into this, and they will die for the church. You know what I mean? And 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 everything they do is for the church. So you've got super rich people that that are fully addicted to Mormonism, that are help running the church, and you know it is a massive community. And basically, to get high up in the church, you have to show that a you can hold your shit together. You know, you can be a good businessman, a good administrator, or you can do something. And uh, and b that you are loyal to the church, and that's why you take pay you ten percent. Because if they can see on the records you've been paying ten percent for five years or a decade or two decades, then all of a sudden you know you're going up in the ranks with Mormonism, and fuck knows what happens at the top. It's a bit scary because it's supposed to be a God-run church. It's certainly not. It's obviously not. And so that does you know, I would say, and my best guess, there's a lot of good things happening at the top, and there's a lot of bad things happening as well. And I'll tell you that's the same with most churches. But yeah. I, it's my favorite Christianity. This is how I'll sum it up. It's my favorite Christianity, but Christianity is not hermeticism. It's not alchemy. It's not what Jesus was teaching. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't any of these things. He was a philosopher, and he studied ancient processes and ancient knowledges, and he shared it with basically he tried to share good teachings with everybody, and then he had the esoteric teachings, which were in allegory, and hidden from everybody else. And if you study Hermeticism and Alchemy and then you read the Bible, you can see quite obviously that Jesus is talking in a Hermetic and alchemical way. And so that that opens up all of the scriptures all again and just throws basically all of religion, in my opinion, into the fucking gutter and moves into spirituality, which is to understand these ancient processes of nature, what was going on at the start, what was Jesus really teaching, what were these people practicing? I mean, you know, what brought them to enlightenment, really? Um, which I don't think is in modern religions, the exoteric religions, the public religions. I don't think they have the answer. And it's only in this kind of hidden allegorical knowledge in, in Hermeticism and in alchemy and in what Jesus and other people were trying to teach. I think, you know, Thoth is another good example that, I, that I've enjoyed. A lot of people rave on about Krishna. I, I haven't personally studied him, but... And, you know, there are some religions I haven't fully studied, but I still have faith that a lot of them had truth as well because I've seen truth in all of the religions I've studied, but a massive deficit also in an understanding of of how spirituality works and the fact that we're trying to get out of this horrible hologram um, that that really is a mental, spiritual, emotional, physical game. And and I think that hermeticism and, and alchemy is basically the best way to get out, and that's what they were trying to teach us. That's what these ancient scriptures were trying to teach, was that we do know the science. It's very complex and it's very sacred, and if you want to come learn it, come and learn it. But, um, you know, if you don't, then, you know, just listen to everything else and hopefully you'll be a good person. I think the best way is to have as your religion, you know, all religions and just take whatever you think is good and throw away what's bad. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is what I'm saying. And I think that in all religions, there are aspects of wisdom where it brings light into ourselves, whether it's being a good person, whether it's doing exercise, whether it's doing meditation, whether it's gardening, whether it's taking care of animals or taking care of children. There are all these different ways and there are certain practices in each religion that bring light into ourselves. And um, and that is really what spirituality and religion is supposed to do. It's supposed to enlighten you. 
you're supposed to draw in these positive energies and 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 forsake and forgive and push away these bad energies. But over a long period of time, I mean, you know, humanity's been here a while, and things have gotten quite tainted, and and especially religions, if if nothing else, have become tainted, and that's why you've got to look at. And another reason why you want to study all religions is to have a broad perspective on what's going on. Like, how could you possibly understand religion just coming at it from one perspective, you know, such as Christianity? Like, if you if I had just studied Christianity, I'll, I would be lost in it, you know. But it's because I've studied a lot of Eastern ways and, and even, you know, ceremonial magic and ancient Hebrew things and I've looked into the Russians and, you know, I look into all things and all types of sciences and and especially science, you know, that's, that's another religion in itself. I study a lot of science and, um, you know, I, yeah, I've got the research lab and, as you know, and, uh, yeah, I study a lot of alchemy. I mean, that's my main thing. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm studying these material sciences and I'm using philosophy to try to develop n- new ways of looking at things in the lab. So t- to basically find things that we might have missed because we're getting very confused yeah, well, all religions do have a lot of truth behind them, and I think that that is basically reflected best in Hermeticism and Alchemy because in all of these religions we see some type of process in which the human is evolving itself into something that is better, something that is divine, something that's connected to all of the universe. And um, in Alchemy and Hermeticism, we see those specific processes brought to the front to the forefront of, of study, basically, instead of worrying about what this person said and what this ritual is and we've got to have this and do that. if When we're looking at hermeticism and alchemy, we're actually looking at the science in which we evolve all the different matter, including the nature that's around us, including ourselves. So it is that core truth behind all of the other religions. And and when you, when you look from a perspective of hermeticism and and look into all of these other religions if you've had that perspective also then you can see that all of the religions all of the exoteric the public religions that are available to us to learn basically all reflect and are all sharing a different version of the same truth which is the teachings that we were learning from hermeticism which is the same teachings that jesus christ was teaching and, and you know those teachings existing before him, and I don't, and I don't for a moment doubt his incredible power as well by having utilised these these teachings. I think you know I still I have an absolute belief in Christ because I do look at him as the ultimate prophet, basically. You know, and, and I look at any man who can get that close, or or, or to do anything similar to him, um, as as you know, as an incredible man, Christ specifically, and this is why I do not love Christianity, but I love Hermeticism and I love the way that the Bible teaches Hermeticism. I love the way that Jesus Christ teaches Hermeticism and through Jesus Christ's life, we see the alchemical process unfolding. We see the calcination, which is the faith in Christ, which is the the mental forsaking of the entire world. We see the separation, which is his baptism being dipped into his death which is basically the death of the physical and and being dipped into the astral realm. We see him then straight away go into the desert and separate himself from humanity, which is the third process um, in alchemy. And it continues forth even unto – and one of the most beautiful things about Mormonism, and it's an important part to understand for other Christians, is that Mormonism understands that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ prayed to the Father – took the sins upon him and bled from every pore. He gave his blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He gave his body on the cross. And that's why we have the bread and the wine, is not just to represent Christ's death on the cross, but to also represent his, his taking the sins upon himself in the Garden of Gethsemane and bleeding from every pore. And that's when he really felt the most antagonizing pain was actually previous to the crucifixion and these are part of the of the alchemical wedding that goes on in these processes and he shows perfectly the hermetic teachings through his life just just absolutely perfectly and so that's why i've always got deep respect for christ despite how much everyone has tainted this beautiful religion and despite how lost the churches are and how manipulative it's become and all this pedophilia and everything that's been going on despite all of that 
there is a beautiful religion at the core of, of humanity. And all of our religions are giving clues towards that religion. And basically it is to just encapsulate all of those good things that are around you, include the exercise, the purification, the love for your family, the protection, the organics, like, you know, growing your own food, getting your own water, getting out of the system. This is what God wants, you know, and, and that's universal. That's a human thing. That's a natural process. It's got nothing to do with the church. You don't have to walk into a building to access the fact that God wants you to be happy and be free with your family. And the more that we can try to gather together and have talks like this, um, and hopefully with larger numbers in the future, hopefully, and, and, I, and I have no doubt that we are moving into this age, and it might get quite reckless before we get there, but I have no doubt that the world is changing. I have no doubt in the scriptures and, and all of those teachings. I have a lot of doubt in everybody that's tried to teach me about them, but when I read them myself and I, and I, and I do those things, fasting and praying, and reading the scriptures it's, it's three very simple things to to really get that kind of connection with those ancient those ancient people who were just screaming out to us don't do this don't sell yourselves out don't give in to these demons it will get you it's gotten us before we've had to fight a million times to stop it and there's plenty of warnings saying that if you don't stop it it's going to get really bad and you know it's all just unraveling <laughs> i love it <laughs> The biggest issue I have with uh, uh, Christianity or the, all the mainstream religions is that they usually view God and nature as separate, whereas I more with the shamanistic approach where God and nature is one and the same. It's everywhere. Yeah, that's another thing that I strongly agree with. And, and, and that's what I mean by the core of all of these religions. I believe that hermeticism and alchemy do teach that. They teach a natural philosophy. They teach that God is nature and that it is one and, and that there's a, an eternal interplay of cosmic and, and um, terror forces that are just creating this incredible thing. I've had experiences, you know, certain meditations and spiritual experiences where I've just felt that, the, the, the center of all things is just some permeating energy that just keeps giving and giving and giving. And that's what we as humans describe as love is, is a permeating energy that re that requires nothing else. It's expansive and, and it feeds on nothing else but itself. You know, love is just this pure energy. And I, and that's what I think that it is, you know, that's going on and, and you can get that out of nature. You know, nature's given it to you on a plate. It's got all these beautiful things for you to have. It's got beautiful, clean water if you've learned how to make it. It's got beautiful, uh, organic food that will make you feel happy and, and alive um, if you want, if you can give the time to nature to grow it, you know. And, and yeah, definitely, I, I haven't been a big shaman. I haven't been able to um, um, uh, kind of grasp the full capabilities of plant elementals and being able to get really one-on-one -on -one with, with a plant's spirit or anything like this but i've been a, i've been a herbalist and i've been an alchemist for a long time and i've used herbs all my life i'm, I'm right now standing in my backyard and looking at a big patch of, of everything i've grown and my big medicinal um and i know that if i'm to ask a plant can i please have these properties from you uh before i pick it it's going it's going to be more effective for myself mind you being in the modern age, I don't always do it because, yeah, I suppose I'm like, and this is what I'm trying to learn more and more now is to take full control of my mind and to be really grateful for everything and to try to break down, you know, any any kind of feelings of tension within my body. And the only way that I've ever learned out of all these religions to kind of do that and feel better is to exercise, purify, pray, study, engage with nature, go swimming, go diving, go to caves, go parachuting, eat herbs, eat your own food, grow your own food, get a wife, have children, this natural stuff. The, the world is offering us a million types of temptations that are just completely unnatural and they make you feel horrible after a long period of time. So I'm just kind of focusing on the bare necessities, water, food, electricity, you know, like Tesla's teaching free power, so I'm studying Tesla. And, you know, it makes me feel good that hopefully in the future my children won't have to pay, like, outrageous electricity prices because I dedicated myself to giving them free power. And the same with the water. 
you know, I'm all about these natural sciences and, and, um, and I've ditched religion, you know, I don't go to church anymore. I don't practice these things anymore. I just, I'm just trying to basically bring as much light into my life as I possibly can. Well, the the world is your church, but where can uh, I mean? When you left Mormonism, was it hard to convince your wife? Oh yeah, so you know, I convinced my wife into Mormonism in the first place. <laughs> I said, you know, I've I've gone around the world, and and this is well, like um, metaphorically um, and ide- ideologically, I've gone around the world, and um, this is the best one I've found. And we're going to do this. And, yeah, like it basically, it stopped us from being just silly hooligans to kind of straightening out our lives a bit and um, and actually quite a lot. I mean, it did a lot for us. Mormonism has done a lot for us. It was incredible. Those people were so nice. Um, I learned so much about Christianity. I learned a lot actually about um, about God and, and about how to harness the Holy Spirit, which now I look at from a different, I don't look at that from a Christian perspective anymore. I look at it from an alchemical perspective and I look at it more like energy than I do some um, being that I don't understand. I look at it as life energy, you know. So when Jesus is teaching, oh, you know, get the Holy Spirit, what I think is, what I know that he's saying is, there is this energy about us and you can have it. And if you do this, 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 and this, which he explains quite clearly, you can have this energy. And that's what they called the Holy Spirit. So I, so I look at it more scientific now and more from a point of philosophy rather than some kind of, um, I don't know, ideology. You know? you know, it's a special electricity that we haven't fully comprehended and we, and we gain that in. And um, I forgot the question. Or if it was hard to get your wife to to leave, oh, it's to leave, you know. So no, it wasn't. So I basically said, you know, my wife has trusted in my knowledge in regards to this. So she's the wise one. I'm the knowledgeable one. I go, all right, darling. This is everything that I know. These are the facts. This is why I know it. And she has faith in what I've said. And she goes, okay, this is what we do as a result of that. She's the wisdom in the household. Her name, oh, I shouldn't say her name, but it means wisdom. And, um, and she is a very wise lady. So I basically give her the facts and she makes decisions and, and, and then we compromise. But um, when I said, well, look, look at all this Freemasonic stuff. Look at uh, this handshake from Mr. Richie Richie, who's the prophet. Look at all of this pedophilia. Um, I think I've made an error. This guy, These guys are not, uh, you know, oh, I, ba- I basically said, you know, someone can be really good and bring forth something really good and then become really bad. Look at King Solomon as a perfect example for anyone who does know their Bible stories. King Solomon was like, you know, he was the Lord's man. He was God's gift to the world. Like all, Everybody wanted him. And then he turned to basically, yeah, just sex and um, building out idols. Like he just turned the whole other way. And, you know, Joseph Smith is another good example of this. He's brought out something brilliant. God's like God's brought him out for an epic purpose because the Book of Mormon is quite brilliant. It's a it's a beautiful account of ancient America, which is just incredible to read. Like it's just exciting if nothing else. Even if you thought it was a story, you'd be you'd be thrilled by it. You know, it's a it's a very exciting story. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, and I just love the history of it. And I do. I mean, you even have very intelligent minds like J. J. Hertak, which is a Jewish man who wrote um, the Book of Knowledge, the Keys to Enoch, and he even acknowledges. Um, the Book of Mormon as being legitimate and writes about all the Nephites and, and certain things that happened in America. And, and yeah, I just love the Book of Mormon. But that doesn't change the fact that, you know, the, ch- the church was very corrupt. And so I, I, was e- I was easily able to show that to my wife. Like, here's some more facts that I didn't know. And um, we're going to pull back now because I do believe in this. I do believe there's a spiritual power. I do believe that I'm still on the right track. Um I believe that the Mormons were a good stepping stone, but we're moving forward now. We're moving into Hermeticism. We're moving into alchemy. This is what Jesus was teaching. These are his esoteric teachings. We don't need the exoteric teachings anymore because I bet, yeah, because I bet. And it's it's not hard to go and Google right now Hermeticism and alchemy and start to get a grasp of, of what these guys were teaching, which was the secret doctrine of the universe. It was the secret doctrine of the processes of nature that even Jesus Christ himself was teaching flat out. And But you, you won't even know that until you Google it. So, 
I mean, yeah, and that's why I can never go back to church because I just I I, I want to help them all. I want to be there and te- teach all this stuff to them. But as soon as I try, they're going to grab me and they're going to chuck me out the front door and call me an extremist, which they've done before. Did you tell anybody why you were leaving? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> I did, and that's why they haven't come back. Normally, they would come back and say hello. Uh, not this time because they know that I know, and so they haven't visited me. They haven't renounced my priesthood, so I'm still a Levitical Melchizedek priest in the Mormon Church. They haven't renounced because I haven't gone in there and basically denounced them publicly. I have denounced the concept of material rituals actually representing some type of salvation when God is really beyond words. So how can we get into a building and all chat some words and expect that God's going to just like sort us out? Because I don't, I don't understand that as being logical. And I've said that, but um, I haven't, I haven't since gone in and said, "Look, your leaders are totally fucking you over," and and they're and they're and they're taking your money. I haven't done that, so they haven't kicked me out. But they know that I'm likely to do that, so they haven't visited me either. When normally, if they thought I was just having like a bad way, they might come visit me and try to like get me back on the right track, so to speak. You know, all, all these versions of Christianity in in the church, they always focus on different things. Like in the Catholic Church, there's they talk a lot about hell, but there's nothing about hell in the Bible. But they talk a lot about it. And uh, in other churches, they focus on on uh, other things in their sermons. But what does the Mormon Church? What what's the focus in their sermons? Certainly, Jesus Christ they try to make as the key focus. Also, we can't underestimate um, how much they do focus on the Book of Mormon itself and Joseph Smith. Um, also, not just that, also, but the living prophet, who, which is whoever the guy is of at the head of the church at that time. Now, then the structure goes from there. Um, after the living prophet, you've got the 12 disciples, basically, the 12 apostles, Um And so they have structured their church in exactly the same way that the early Christians, uh, as in, and and it's described through Paul in the Bible, set up their church, and it's and it is built in the same way. And this is another reason why symbolically it is just so beautiful because their church is set up the same as the older scenic disciples of Jesus Christ had their church set up, when other churches don't have the same hierarchy structure that these ones do. So that's, that's, and again, this has come from the additional knowledge that the Freemasons had because they had it crystal clear when it's, when it's only just kind of blurred through the Bible, these guys had a proper historic account of how the church was and they've set it up exactly the same. So it looks very, and so when you're there and you're getting indoctrinated by this stuff, you know, you've got hymns, you've got sacred geometry, you've got ancient scripture, you've got old, men who are very wise and and they're all businessmen they're all rich telling you all this stuff you've got you've been there your whole life since you were a kid you know it is very indoctrinating stuff it's very hypnotic it drags you in and you've got a massive and you end up with a massive loyalty to either a christ b the church or c both or d neither and there are a lot of kids that just rebel against it and they go no this is crap And so a lot of Mormon parents do have to deal with the rebellious child who doesn't want to bar Mormonism, and that's quite common. And then, you know, in regards to just how the church is, like when you're at church, you're you are a saint, mate. You don't you're not telling telling everybody all the bad things you do. You're acting on your best behaviour because it is like church, and it's the Mormons, and and there is like a high standard. So no one smoke. You're not allowed to smoke. You're not allowed to drink coffee. Um, you're not allowed to be living with like a, a the opposite sex unless you're married um you're certainly not allowed to be having sex outside of marriage that is a big no-no so it's probably quite healthy for the body to to be a mormon <laughs> yeah certainly the only thing that i would knock on there um they call it the word of wisdom which is a, a certain part of their scripture that joseph smith declared through revelation Uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is another book separate to the Book of Mormon, which is just um, revel. It's just Joseph Smith saying, "Okay, now my voice is Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk." And for about a hundred, a hundred and twenty-five chapters, 
Um, so he's declaring on behalf of Jesus Christ. And there's a bit in there called the Word of Wisdom where it basically describes the Mormon diet, which says no smoking, no drinking. And um, and basically it does it gives a, uh, quite a detailed account on grains and vegetables and stuff like this. And, and it says about meat that you are allowed to eat meat but you should do it only in times of famine, cold, or winter, and, and to do it sparingly. Like, you know, basically if your family needs it, then you kill an animal. You don't just kill it because you want a barbecue. It's basically – and then the other part in there is that it says um, not to drink hot drinks. And uh, so they interpret that as coffee, but, I don't, but, it's, but it says specifically that hot water is not for your body or your belly. And they interpret some some one of these Mormon dudes interpreted that as being you're not allowed to have coffee. So now the Mormons don't drink coffee. But my interpretation of that scripture is actually uh, to wash your like that hot water is not for the body nor the belly. As in, don't wash yourself in hot water and don't drink hot drinks because it makes you lazy. It it makes you lethargic and lazy and more sensual and sexual rather than active. And masculine and, and all these things. It was, and we see the same teaching in in a lot of the a lot of the secret cultures, like um, uh, the Golden Dawn Society teaches to have cold showers. We see in um, Franz Baden's teachings of theological magic um, to to have cold showers, and it's just to invigorate the body. And that should be a part of the Mormon doctrine. It's right there in front of their faces, but they cho- chose to misinterpret it and, and represent it as something else. But, yeah, I mean, yes, the answer to your question is definitely it's very healthy to be. Uh, and the only thing I knock them on that I forgot to say is the pork thing because the Jews didn't eat pork, the Muslims don't eat pork, the science on pork isn't that great either, and so I just don't eat pork either. The song A Child's Prayer that you just heard is a very popular Mormon song. So it was a fitting ending to an interesting conversation that abruptly ended, unfortunately, due to some connection problems with Skype. Still, a perfect ending and who would have known that an almost hour-long conversation about Mormonism would end on the word pork. Now, do you feel like watching a good film or two? And this time I want to talk about two films. One of the films is actually kind of a remake of the other film. And uh, I love both films. It's very unusual to have an original and a remake be equally good, but in somewhat different ways. Uh, I must say though that the remake is a bit, you know, in a sense, cheesier. Uh, it has some special effects that looks a bit <laughs> dodgy compared to today's standards. But still, you know, I, I don't watch films in that way you know I'm always connected a lot to the plot and the subtext so uh, I'm not that picky uh, the films I want to talk about are you know because it would be easier if you knew if you knew their names is uh, Hell, in the, Hell in the Pacific by John Borman and its remake I don't know if it's an official remake but the plots are so similar that it might as well be it's called uh, Enemy Mine, and I actually don't know who made that film. Uh, the first film, the original, let's say, 
is called Hell in the Pacific, and it stars one of my favorite actors, Toshiro Mifun, the guy who is most known from the Akira Kurosawa films, if you are into, like I am, the black and white samurai films by Kurosawa, you know, you know who Toshiro Mifun is. And uh, it also stars, oh I can't remember his name now, some American guy. And basically it takes place during the Second World War and uh, Toshiro he plays a uh, Japanese fighter pilot and, uh, and then there's this American guy who plays of course then an American fighter pilot and they both crash and end up on a deserted island. So it's just the two of them. And the whole film is about, you know, how they are continuing the war even though they're alone and uh, there's nobody, to, you know, to rescue them. And, uh, you know, they capture each other, they, have, they hold each other prisoner and, you know, eventually, you know, throughout the film they get to know each other and, uh, you know, and they realize that, you know, in order to survive and, you know, they have to um, cooperate. And, you know, you always want to connect with others. So, I think this film is, 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 is very good because, you know, it brings the world conflicts down on an individual level. And when you have both sides of a, of a conflict, when it's just one-on-one, -on -one, it, it's much harder to sustain the conflict. Although I must say that Hell in the Pacific is somewhat more cynical than its remake, Enemy Mind, because Hell in the Pacific kind of ends with them falling out at the end. When uh, they, uh, you know, I think it's they, they somehow manages to find out that the Americans drop a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. I'm, I'm not sure I, if my memory serves me correct now, but something like that. And, um, you know, the remake, Enemy Mine, is, is a science fiction film. It takes place in outer space, and you have a, a, let's say a, a war between the humans and some alien lizard race of some sort. And the same thing happens, you know, the lizard or whatever you want to call it, the creature ends up deserted on a planet with a human and they go through the same things as the, as the Japanese and the American does on the island in the Pacific. You know, they, uh, they start out as enemies and then eventually over time they, they become allies and friends. And Enemy Mine, I think it's more of a positive film because it doesn't really end in the same way. And um, in fact, uh, the alien, the creature, he he can actually impregnate and give birth himself. He's, he's actually like uh, both male and female. So he has a child and uh, he dies and then the human has to take care of the child. So uh, I think it's a wonderful film about, you know, seeing who the who the enemy is, learning about the enemy, and then finally, you know, empathizing with the enemy, knowing that the enemy is actually no enemy at all. And uh, at first, when you watch Enemy Mine, you 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 think that the alien creature looks weird and strange and evil. But as throughout the film and as you understand this creature, you start to realize that you know when you get used to something. When it's no when it's no longer unfamiliar, it becomes more something you can empathize with. with. I think this is an excellent example, and that's why racism is prevalent in some parts of the world. Because usually people who are racist they have not as much experience with other cultures as those that are not racists in general, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, Enemy Mine is more of a B-movie, but it's still a wonderful film. 
And Hell in the Pacific is, is you know, John Borman is a great film director. And uh, so it's a great film uh, if you only look at it from a cinematographical perspective. But I suggest uh, if you want to see uh, the battle between the good guy and the bad guy and also the philosophical question of who is the good guy and who is the bad guy really, then you should watch Hell in the Pacific and Enemy Mine. Next Sunday is going to be the third episode recorded at the Altered Conference in Berlin last year. And in that episode we are going to talk about virtual reality. Now let's end with a bang. Symphony numero 5. Fucking Ludwig van Beethoven. Freedom is in the mind. Thank you.